Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. You may notice our fifth and sixth graders have been worshiping with us this morning. And there they are. Good to have you. <laughs> From time to time, they'll be with us and uh, worshiping because that's ultimate, uh, ultimately our end goal for uh, a sixth grader once they get out of sixth grade is to be with us and worship with their church family. And so uh, we're kind of working through some transitions here. Actually, if you don't know anything about our children's program or our student ministry, everything we call uh, an adult to here at Fellowship, we call our children and our students to. We call them to be a part of a small group. So if they're, they're in our ministry, they're connected into a small group where they're, they're doing life together and reading and studying God's word together. They're also serving in ministry, and we give a lot of different opportunities for our students and our children to be involved in ministry, just like we call you to be in that. And of course, they're also in worship with us, and so it was good to have them here. You'll see them occasionally. Uh, we are continuing with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have your Bibles, open there with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 13. And this is, I'm not going to lie, this is a very difficult saying of Jesus. It's one that flies right in the face of popular opinion of what's out in our world today. And it is perhaps what I continually hear about or the criticism about Christians or even about Christianity, that it's an exclusive religion. And uh, it's it's one that uh, is very intolerant of other beliefs. And uh, and Jesus is going to really kind of give us a picture of what it really is today. And he's going to call it. And uh, we need to be people who can hear from Jesus and listen to him and follow him once we understand what he's saying. This is not going to be easy for some. And so I'm going to ask you to endure with me. One of the passages we're going to be looking at is where Paul talks to the church or talks to Timothy, who was a leader in the church in Ephesus. And he said, uh, you know, Timothy, there's going to be a time when people just want to hear what they want to hear. They're itching ears and they're going to want you to scratch the itch and not really preach the truth. But, But Timothy, hold strong. This is what makes Jesus, Jesus. And this is why Jesus had to come. And so we need to realize that. And uh, we need to be able to, to listen and to follow that. So let's take a look at this. And again, just as I prepare you for this, Jesus up to this point has been talking about a narrow path, right? It's the road less traveled. It's the road that uh, instead of getting revenge, we give forgiveness. Instead of trying to get even, we, we give grace, right? Instead of giving someone our anger, we give them our love, right? That's not something we're just geared for. Especially when someone really hurts us. But this road less traveled leads to a person. And his name is Jesus. Let's take a look at this. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to, look at this word, destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He talks about two ways, right? The easy way, the hard way, the wide way, the narrow way. The wide gate, the narrow gate, destruction, life. 
Now, he's also going to talk to us about two different types of guides we can have on the way that we choose. And that's continued in verse 15. So look at this. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? That's a rhetorical question, which of course we'd all go, no, no, it's not. And that's why Jesus explains it, verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's talk about, first of all, the two ways that Jesus talks about and reveals for us here. No one likes to be called narrow, right? We like the words accepting and inclusive, not narrow or hard, or even that word that Jesus uses, destruction, to which it ends. Yet Jesus is very intentional on his use of these words. He describes his way of life for us. He exposes a direction and the destination attached to the direction that we are going with our lives. All along, he's called us to this narrow path, right? But much like a concerto, now is the crescendo. What is this all about? Who are we ultimately following? What do we live our lives for? Who do we aim? What direction do we choose? The path, Jesus answers, the path that I have laid out for you, the narrow path, the road less travels. And he opens up that map for us that I know we can get lost in the forest of this passage with all the questions that our world is asking about. Jesus just takes, up, takes it us out and he kind of zooms us out and goes, look, look at where that path is leading. Look at where my path is leading. One is destruction. One is life. Do you want life? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus will always lead us to life. But let's talk about this wide way that he describes as wide and easy leading to destruction. Why is wide so popular? First answer, evil. Earlier before in verse 11, he said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, then how much more will your father in heaven give good things to his children who ask? And so Jesus is calling it in us. There's evil around us, right? And it's easy as churches gather together, just go, this is what the world is. And there are, they are evil. You know, we can talk like that. But here it's a real thing. And there is evil in this world. There's evil around us. And there are systems that are broken. And there are societies that are evil. And there are leaders who are evil. And if we're honest, when we look inside, we are evil. We are. I know we like to put a candy coat on it and and we like to just focus on our good things. And that's what Facebook profiles are for is just to show the good things. But we don't say I gained 15 pounds this week. I exploded at my husband this week. Or I, uh, you know, I, I drove like a maniac on the way to work today and ticked everybody off. We don't do that. We just show our positive sides. And that's the problem, right? Because it's our evil inside of us that, that likes to, likes to call it in a, in a lighter way. We're, we're far kinder to ourselves when we mess up than we are to others when they mess up. 
Paul would even say it this in Romans chapter 7. He would say this. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. How many of us got to the end of, get to the end of the day and go, wow, man, I shouldn't have said that to that person. I, I shouldn't have done that to that person. I shouldn't have thought that about that person. Because we don't wake up going, man, I hope I really mess up today. I hope I am so evil today. We don't. But yet the good that we want to do, we don't do. Why? Because it's an issue of our hearts within us that only Jesus can lead us out of. And we've got to believe that. We cannot save ourselves from this evil. The wide way is the evil way. And secondly, there's ease on that wide way, right? It's the, the, the wide way is the easy way. Look at what Jesus says about it. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. Here's what I've learned. It's easier in our culture today just to go with the flow than to try to swim against it. It's easier to ignore evil, turn a blind eye, turn a deaf ear to evil than to stand up and to confront it. It's easy to live in a culture or live in a city where you disagree with so many things that are happening, but just criticize on the sidelines rather than get involved in it. It is. You may have known with just the power of a crowd. When, you, you know, maybe you've been at a, a sporting event and you forgot something back in your chair and everyone's leaving and you're going back to your chair. It's, I mean, it's daunting to face people who are all, you just want to go, okay, forget it. And let's just, just go so I can go with people because we don't like to go against people. We don't like to disappoint. We don't like to frustrate. We don't like to cause conflict in an environment. And so evil has an ease to it. It's just better to just go with the flow. That's why wide is so popular. But here's the other angle is, is that, that Paul says, he says in, in the book of Romans, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're called we're called away from ease. We're called of getting, you know, crushed of the world, getting, you know, crushing us into its mold. And folks, it is going to be difficult to follow Jesus. It is, but it's the best for us. Here's what I mean for it. When your wife is not sensitive to you guys and you want to withhold love, from, what does Jesus call you to do? Love her, love her. Don't love her because of what she can do for you. You love her even though it's unconditional and it's not related to her her performance or whatever. You love her. That's difficult to do, right? Because I want to withhold love. You know, I want to, well, if you're not sensitive to me, I won't be sensitive to you. And marriages break down when you give your spouse what you think they deserve. (laughs) Yeah, that's not, so it's difficult to follow Jesus in that way. But is it the best thing for your marriage? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it may be difficult, but it's the best. And the more that we make difficult decisions, the more Jesus proves to us, see this? This is best for you. This is best. And then you start believing it. Of course, you can't sit on the sidelines and go, that's really hard. I'm not going to do it. Jesus doesn't really care about me. That's going to be a difficult decision. It's going to be more difficult to make. So it's going to be difficult to follow Jesus, but it's the best way. We've got to move away from ease. Is just going with the flow. Sooner or later, you go over the edge. 
and the destination is destruction. There's a third reason, and that is entertainment. Here's what I mean by that. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, beware of false prophets who dress up in sheep's clothing, but are nothing more than ravenous wolves. Be, beware of people who are trying to say things that you want to hear or try to lure you away from the flock of God. I mentioned this earlier, but Paul addresses it to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Follow with me on this. There's going to be times when the teaching of Jesus, when the call of scriptures is going to be difficult to hear. And we will have to endure with sound teaching. Why? Because it flies right into our grill and we get ticked that I've got to change to reflect the truth. And we don't like to change. We like to go with easy decisions. But the mark of a wise person is their capacity and their willingness to change. The mark of a wise person is not perfection. It's that when the light of truth hits your life, you have the pattern of changing to reflect the truth. When Jesus goes into your life, a wise person tries to look more like Jesus, try to reflect who he is rather than who you once were. That's why if anyone's in, new, new, uh, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything's become new, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5. And so Paul is really going to call us to what Jesus is calling us here is that we've got to be people who when he shows us who he is and he calls us to where we need to go, we're willing to follow. A fool? You want to live foolishly? Change the truth so you don't have to change. We deal with foolishness in, in ourselves and in others all the time, especially if you're in leadership. Why were you late? Well, my alarm broke. Why were you late again? Well, my kid got sick. Why were you late again? Sooner or later, you have to deal with the truth. And a fool would rather change the truth or the standard or the policy. Why do you have a policy manual this big at work? There's a name attached to every one of those policies. There is. Why do we have it? You need to arrive on time. Because Frank and Judy and Bill, they all made excuses. And sooner or later, we just had to draw the line, right? Foolishness would rather change the truth than to change themselves. Our world would rather be far wider than narrower on Jesus. And Jesus says, look, it's me. It's me. And it's, it's the road less traveled, but it's me. And it leads to life. It doesn't lead to destruction. So Jesus is going to call us to make a decision. Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to follow all the others? Are you going to believe and trust in what only I can do for you? Are you going to try all the other ways that you think will lead you to life? All those other ways will lead to destruction. My way will lead to life. Are you okay with that? And secondly, who are you listening to? Who is guiding you on this? Beware of false teachers. You will know them by their fruit. And so he's going to call us to discern which way are we on and which guides are informing us. Let's talk about how you can choose the right way. And there's a good question then that Jesus really calls us to, and that's this. What way are you traveling? What way are you on? Are you on the way of Jesus? 
Because Jesus is pretty clear about this. Many people think, oh, he was a good guy. He was a moral man. He had some good moral teaching. But then he died, and that's about it. And so you got a bunch of people following him, much like we admire George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, all those guys. You know, he was just a good guy. Jesus, you haven't read the scriptures if you walk away from Jesus with that comment. Because Jesus was very clear. John 14, 6, he says this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see what Jesus was saying? He was making a very exclusive claim. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other life than the one I give. And so he's ultimately calling us in to make a decision. Me or all the others. It's the choice. It's the choice. Because there are two ways. One leading to life, one leading to destruction. One, there are two gates. One that is wide and one that is narrow. And as I've read scholars on this, they always talk about that narrow way. That narrow way was meant for each one of us, one by one. Some of us think we can bring our stuff with him, okay? God, look at me. Look at my income. Look at my capacity and my giftedness. Look at all my works. I've done these. And he goes, no, no, gates, gates narrow. Only you fit through because I've done it all for you. You don't need anything but me. So when we walk through the gate of Jesus, we can't bring our works with us. They do no good. If our works could do it, we wouldn't need Jesus to live a perfect life for us. We wouldn't need Jesus to die on a cross for us. We wouldn't need Jesus to rise from the dead for us. If we could kick the habit of sin on our own, we wouldn't need his resurrection because his resurrection defeated the power of sin and death in our lives. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I know this flies in the face of public opinion, but is Jesus enough for you? Until he's your everything, he can't be anything. Because when you follow Jesus, you've got to learn to do this. You've got to learn to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Following Jesus is, is the picture of not Jesus plus me and just Jesus and my gifts, Jesus and, and my capacities or Jesus and my skills. It's Jesus alone. That he's our only chance. He's our only hope. And a follower of Jesus believes that. It's Christ. Or it's all others. Any other way. Now, I know it's an, in, it's a very exclusive claim of Jesus, but right now, In this history and time, the arms of God are wide open because anyone who confesses the name of Jesus will be saved. It's a very inclusive offer. It's an invitation by God Almighty, the the creator of heaven and earth, to say whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very exclusive in that we're saved only through Christ, but it's very inclusive to whosoever. And so church, we're to be a church for whosoever. Whosoever. Whoever's here. Whoever will listen. Whoever will turn from their sin to trust Christ and follow him. That's what we're here for. So are the doors of Fellowship Bible Church wide? Absolutely. Do we welcome everyone here? Absolutely. But Joe, they don't look like us. They don't believe like us. They don't act like us. Who cares? Whosoever. Whosoever. That's the church we're going to be. But we're very, very specific as Jesus was. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And when we come to Jesus, we have to lay down our very selves at the cross.
He's not impressed by anything we've done, anything we have, anything we didn't do or should have done. He's, he doesn't keep that against us. He, he gladly accepts anyone who calls on his name. Which way are you traveling? Have you by faith put your trust in the person and the work of Jesus? You may have come here thinking, well, if I'm a good person, I'll get in. He'll accept me. Or if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, as long as that happens, then, you know, in the scale of God's justice, I'll be okay. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you could be good enough, I would not have to have been perfect. And, and live a life for you you could not live. It's got to be Christ. Christ or other, all others, what is your decision today? I would encourage you, choose by faith Jesus Christ and live free of trying to measure up, of trying to reach a level of performance, of, of trying to just try to be better or trying to, to get rid of all your issues on your own and allow Jesus to save you and begin there with him. By faith, just say right now, Jesus, I get it. I didn't get it before, but now I get it. You lived for me, you died for me, you rose again from the dead. I believe you and I trust you. Jesus, I'm choosing your way right now. And by faith, as you turn from your sin, your own way to trust him, he will save you. Not based on your works, based on his completed work. It's a final seal the deal decision to trust in Jesus to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Save yourself. Trust in Jesus. Secondly, what is the logical destination from your way of life? Now, again, if you go, wow, I'm, I'm still wide, still believe in the wide here. What's the destination? Because Jesus is also very specific. Wide is the way, easy is the path that leads to, what is that word? Destruction. That's a really hard, hard word to get a hold of. It's a hard word. But narrow is the path that leads to life. I think this is, um, this is pretty humbling to look at this because every direction has a logical destination. If you choose to live your life kind of based on your feelings each day, when someone cuts you off and you swear at them, or, or when someone uh, does you wrong and you just talk about them and gossip about them and stir up all types of drama about them, the destination of that sooner or later will be a confrontation. The destination of that will be loneliness because no one will trust you in relationships. The destination of every direction we take is, is, is kind of just attached to the direction that we take. And the destination of the way of evil, the wide way, is destruction. Because God will judge evil. And the reason we're called not to judge is not because there is no judge, but that there is a judge. And his name is Jesus. And we're all accountable to him. And he's going to judge far better than any of the rest of us can. And he's going to judge righteously and justly more than we ever could with revenge or with anger here on this earth. Now, we like that God is a God of justice when his finger isn't pointed at us. So we like to know that when someone screams by us on the highway, we like to go, hope there's a cop up there, right? Pull them over. When we're done wrong at work, we like to go, man, I wish someone saw this. Why do we want to do that? Because we love justice. We do when it's someone else. 
But the second you mess up, oh, give me grace, please, judge. I know I went 25 miles over the speed limit, you know, in the school zone on a Monday morning, but I was late. For We don't like that kind of justice because we like to fix our own horse race with God, right? And we love ourselves, which is the scriptures, that's what they say. So we've got to realize that the logical destination of the way of evil is destruction. I remember several years ago, I did a study on heaven and hell with, um, in the scriptures with one of our elders, Bill Hess. And I remember going through that. It was a humbling experience. Just to read all the passages that mention heaven and, and paradise, as well as hell and destruction. And uh, on the week that we went through all those passages on hell, I remember getting together with Bill and we just looked at each other and it was real quiet. And he goes, Joe, let me just say, this is the understatement of the universe. He goes, it's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And as I looked at it, I mean, any follower of Jesus who looks at the way of destruction and walks away going, ha, that's, I'm okay. They're all going, that is not the heart that the scriptures encourage. It ought to move us to tears. It ought to move us to compassion. It ought to move us into action to reach people who need Jesus. It really does. If he's the only way and all other ways lead to destruction, then we ought to be people who call more people into the way. And you know what? That's offensive in our world today. Our world says, what? That's the most arrogant thing to do is to share the gospel with me. That's so intolerant. That's so insensitive. Unless you really believe it. Unless you really believe it. Then it's one of the most loving, caring things you can do. But then there's the way of life. And the way of life that's mentioned in the scriptures, I mean, that's when you get together and go, awesome. This is going to be understatement of the universe. Really good. Okay. Because we realize, yes, that it's going to be a major shift in the systems around us, in the brokenness of this world. That when God gives us true life in Christ, eternal life with Christ, it'll be complete fulfillment and satisfaction, exploring, discovering for eternity, excitement that will leave our greatest pleasure here on earth far behind in the dust. No pleasure will compare to being with Christ and being with each other for eternity. There's destinations to every direction we take. I was born on April 15th, 1965. On April 15th, 1912, another event happened. The sinking of the Titanic. Were any of you around it? I'm just kidding. Okay. But we all know the story, don't we? It's a huge catastrophe that happened. Here, the ship that was built, the unsinkable was out on the Atlantic. They hit an iceberg on April 14th around 11.38 p.m. And everything collides. And everything starts to break apart. Three hours later, it sinks to the bottom. Today, the destination of the Titanic is 12,000 feet below sea level on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean, about 380 miles south of Newfoundland. It had 2,200 crew and passengers on it. It only had lifeboats for 1,150 people. Think about that. 
Why? Because it was never designed to sink. It was never designed to sink. The ship's architect who built it was on board and perished in the catastrophe. The ship's captain who was on board, he also sunk with the ship. Only 705 people were saved. Think about this. It was the arrogance of a way that they never thought they'd have to face. And you know what? The designer, the architect, never planned to have the destination be the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. The, the captain never planned, in his wildest nightmares, I will sail this to the bottom of the sea. But yet, when it was confronted and it was compromised, it sunk to the bottom. There are many ways that we think are good. There are many ways that seem right in our own eyes, but in its end, it leads to destruction. The destination of your life is an important thought to consider. The way you choose will determine the destination. And so therefore, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus offers life. Jesus is all about life for us. That's why he came. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus saw the situation in our lives. He saw that we're sinking and he came and he lived and he died and he rose again for us. I came that you might have life. And so he chooses. That's the choice we have. Life or destruction. Jesus and all others, life and destruction. So if you are on the path of life, the narrow, less traveled path. How do you choose a guide? Because guides inform us. And Jesus is going to call us. That's why he says, beware of false teachers. And he's going to call us to the good guides who are bearing good fruit in the lives of people they're informing. And realize who was in Jesus's audience? There were the Pharisees, right? Uh, that guide is it, and then therefore my third question is this who are you allowing to influence the direction of your life Jesus would say remember the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy I've come that you might have life here he talked about the the wolves coming the the false teachers were wolves in sheep's clothing what did he mean by that well the greatest threat to the flock in Palestinian, in the Palestinian ancient times were the wolf. And so the shepherd at night would gather the sheep, put them into the fold, and it was a custom that the shepherd would literally lay down over the opening. That's why Jesus would say, I'm the gate. I lay down my life for my sheep. In order for the wolves to get through, they got to go through him. The difference between Jesus and the false teachers is the false teachers would leave when it got difficult. Because they like the easy way. Jesus said, I lay down my life for my sheep. I don't run away. I stay. I defend. I love. I lead the flock of God. Who are you? Who is in your life? And are they authentic followers of Christ who are informing you? A sheep or a wolf, Jesus asks. I think it's really important that we have people in our lives who can help us discern What is wise and what is foolish? What is evil and leads to destruction? 
And so it's important that we, we gather around people who can give us the word. And that applies to me, that even I'm under the authority of God's word. And that you even look at what I say and, and look at what God's word says and validate that with the truth of God's word. I'm not excluded from this either. As I've studied, what's, what's a good teacher versus a false teacher? What's a true teacher? How do you discern that? Here's just five things that I use. One is, do they confess Christ? I know that's kind of the slow pitch, hit the ball out of the park statement. But 1 John 3 says, this is, this is how you know. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is God in the flesh, is the Son of God, God in the flesh, is of the truth. And so we need to be people, that people who inform us, people who really speak truth into us, that they have confessed Christ for who he really is. Second, they understand the condition of man. And what I mean by that is they understand that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, that we cannot save ourselves, that it's not just in you trying to be better, but it's you entrusting Jesus to do something for you. They realize that we all struggle with sin. That we all think there's a right way in our own eyes. And that we all have the pattern of trusting in Christ to save us. And therefore that leads to the third C, the cross. It means they have a high view of the cross. By the way, if you're taking notes, these are not in your notes. And they come at no extra charge this morning. Okay? But the cross... The cross is so powerful in our lives that we go to the cross and we realize, how do I have a relationship with with God? Through Christ on the cross. He lived for me. He died for me. He paid the price of my sin. He was my substitute on the cross. I should have been there. He willingly laid down his life for me. And once they have trusted in the cross and they lift up the power of the cross in their lives, then they model truth and love, truth and grace. They don't compromise the truth of God. They're a wise person in that they have a pattern of change in their lives to reflect the truth of God, but they also do it lovingly, as Paul says, with gentleness and respect. And then finally, a commitment to the church. I know you might say, well, Joe, you're a pastor of a church. Aren't you kind of, kind of the inside road? But here's the pictures. I look at the New Testament church. They believe that the church was the bride of Christ. They believe that a commitment and, a, and living under the authority of leadership of a local church was the way to, to fellowship with believers, encourage one another. And as Hebrews 10.25 says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we're the community that looks for and expects the return and restoration of Jesus Christ on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're to be with a body of believers where we're working on mission to reach the world around us. These five C's are what I kind of use for people who are informing my life. Because ultimately what Jesus wants us to be is he wants us to be people who are bearing fruit. Final question, what fruit are you bearing? What fruit are you bearing? Jesus says, good fruit, bad fruit. Out of a diseased tree, you're going to get bad fruit. Out of a false teacher, you're going to have bad fruit. Out of a true teacher, you're going to have good fruit. Jesus has this uh, picture uh, that he says in John 15, and John 15 is a great passage. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
But he says this, by, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit shows the root. And if you're rooted in Christ, the fruit is born through our lives. But there's also the picture that when we're influencing others, when we're leading in others, when we're guiding others, that our roots will, will be born in their lives also. I mean, that's how it was in my life. I remember I grew up in a church. It was a Baptist church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, it was a, a church I heard the gospel every week at. And so I thank the Lord for that church. But it was a legalistic church. And it had a ton of rules and regulations. And I knew everything a Christian shouldn't do. They don't do this. They don't hang out with those people. They don't do this. So when I graduated from high school, I knew everything I shouldn't do, but very little of what I should do. And so it was sin management in my life. And a ton of my friends that I went to youth group, they were leaving the church in mass because they felt they couldn't measure up to all the legalistic requirements. And I thought, what are you going to do, Joe? Is this the faith of your parents or is it really your faith? Is it the faith of one you've always heard just because you haven't heard of another truth? Or is it really the truth in your life? Is Jesus who he said he was or and did what he really said he did? Or is it just something made up? And so I, instead of walking away and chucking my faith, I decided to really seek the authentic Jesus in the scriptures. And so I read the gospel accounts and I really looked at who is Jesus And I decided he really is, not just for me, but for everyone. He really is who he said he is and did what he said he'd do. And and at that point, I just said, this is my faith now. It's not my parents. And I found the truth that when we seek him with our hearts, we find him. We find him. Jesus is to be found. And then came a guy named Chip Bernhardt into my life. And he was the new pastor in our church. He was 30 years old. And Chip started preaching grace. It's not only grace that saves you, it's also grace that keeps you. You don't come to Christ and then just try to keep earning things. You come to Christ and keep resting in his completed work. The glory of the gospel is based on grace. And he started preaching this way, and I really started growing. And he he said, hey, Joe, at that time it was Joey, okay? Don't try it, okay? But at that time, it was Joey, and he just said, hey, I'd love to spend Tuesday mornings with you. Would you? Of course, yes. And so I made Tuesday mornings available. He just started building into my life. We read the scriptures. He spoke into me. He called me away from some foolish things in my life at that time. He called me away from some evil things in my life at that time that were just eroding my soul. And he did it lovingly, but he did it boldly in Christ. And, and you know what? I left that experience knowing here's a man with truth and with grace, but also a man for discipleship. He loved to build into, and what God had to trust it in his life, he was transferring it to everyone else's. And I just started bearing fruit in that way. Wherever I went, I, I wanted to be like what Chip had done in my own life. And it, he kind of was the whole picture of just a blooming, blooming as healthy fruit in my life. I'd look for guys. When I went to Dallas Seminary, I looked for guys who would meet with me. I had 12 high school guys that I built into over that time. I still remember their names. I still follow up with them today. Then I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee and was in a church eight and a half years. I still had Tuesday mornings where I was building into guys. And I was watching how God was bearing the fruit of the seeds that Chip planted in my life way back in Milwaukee. 
And even today, Tuesday mornings, I'm building into guys' lives. And I love it. That's one of my favorite things to do is to just disciple a few guys. Because I've seen that those seeds that are planted in the lives of others bear fruit that God is pleased with. Your heavenly father looks at your life and is pleased to pick the fruit, the harvest of righteousness and goodness in Christ. He loves doing that with his kids. And wherever you're at, we're called to be planted in Christ and bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Because ultimately, the condition, the character of your root will determine the condition of your fruit. If you're rooted in Christ, the fruit will be pleasing to the Lord. That's the call of Scripture. Where you're planted matters. The direction you're headed leads to a destination. Follow Christ. Pursue him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can uh, turn from all the things, all the other distractions in our lives to listen to you. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your call. You are a loving, good God who calls us away from things that will destroy us. And we thank you for that. May we celebrate the truth of Jesus and may we be compassionate in our explaining of the gospel. May we reach out to others and call them to the path that you have forged for us through your life, your death, and your resurrection. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.